it's Jeffrey Sidoris, and I want to welcome you to this little sonic experiment. I want to begin by saying that I really don't know how this is going to turn out, uh, where it's going to end up. And a big part of that is because I don't know how it's going to be received. This is a project that I've been asked to do in one form or another for a long time. And I think I've finally wrapped my head around how and more importantly, why I'd like to do it. And it really comes down to two things, a desire to connect with an audience and my love for radio. Growing up, I can't remember not having a radio in one form or another. The first one I remember was this big walnut console with a turntable and a television that we had in our house. It was either Sandimas or Azusa. That part's a little fuzzy because it was the early 70s. I also remember this little Panasonic clock radio that my mom had on her nightstand. And this was probably third or fourth grade. And the main reason I remember it is because it had those little black and white flippy numbers. I got my first stereo in junior high. I don't remember what year, but I remember that the first record I ever got was Robin Williams' Reality, What a Concept. And I think my mom was expecting that it was going to be him doing Mork and Mindy, Shazbat, Nanu, Nanu, but boy, was she wrong. As I got older, I started listening to the radio more often, and I started to recognize DJs in addition to the music. Uh, the first one I remember was probably Wolfman Jack, because he was just such a character. And because we were in L.A., there were a ton of DJs to listen to. Rick Dees, Richard Blade, Rodney Bingenheimer on KROQ, uh, Mark and Brian on KLOS, and, of course, the Dr. Demento show, which I think was on KMET. Howard Stern was in there, too, but honestly, I was never really a big Howard fan. I had friends that were, but it just never really landed for me. I like him much better now, especially because he's really a terrific interviewer. There was also Joe Frank on KCRW, but honestly, we could spend hours on him, so I think I'll save that one. Feel free to ask about it if you're curious. There were a few shows on the radio that really changed my relationship, and in some ways even redefined the role of the DJ. Headsets was one of those. It was on Wednesday nights at midnight on KLOS. And uh, it was hosted by a guy called Jim Ladd, who's still, I think Jim is still on XM Radio. And Jim was kind of, according to a lot of people, the last of the freeform DJs. And Headsets was the first show that I can remember where the DJ not only played music that kind of blew my mind, but also had conversations with the artists themselves and told stories about the making of the music, which really sort of elevated it beyond just someone, you know, reading ads and spinning records. So Jim called headsets theater of the mind. And it was basically... It was kind of an hour-long set built around music and trippy sound effects and bits of old movie dialogue that he insisted was best listened to in a pair of headphones. And some of the music, like Pink Floyd, I'd heard before, but other stuff that he played was completely new to me. In fact, he was the one who turned me on to the Moody Blues with a record called Days of Future Past, and that's past as in P-A-S-S-S. E-D, not P-A-S-T. And, I mean, this this is an amazing record that still holds up, I don't know, 50-odd years after its release. You know, it begins with this beautiful, symphonic, sort of lush overture, and Justin Hayward, the lead singer, beckoning us to breathe deep the gathering gloom. And, man, I just remember never hearing anything like that. And... I don't know whether it was the shows 
or the music or that particular time in my life or a combination of all of it. But I've kind of been in love with radio, at least that kind of radio, which sort of doesn't exist anymore ever since. And that's where this little experiment begins. I'm not trying to recreate or rip off any of the shows that I used to listen to, but I would like to let them inspire something new. And as I said at the top, I really don't know what this might look like. Um, I think each episode might start with a story or a theme, and then it's kind of up to you. Maybe a question or a response to something I've said, or maybe you'll feel inspired to share something for your own life and take us in a completely different direction. It's up to you. The point is, I'd like it to be a conversation rather than just me talking into a mic. So now it's your turn. How has radio affected you? What are some of your memories of radio? Or feel free to take the conversation in a completely different direction. Either way, I'd love to hear from you. All I ask is that you be kind. Call me at 202-539-0209. Here we go.
of the reasons that that I kind of shared this story about radio at the top was it's it, kind of an origin story of my beginnings with radio. And there was another show that, if you'll, if you'll grant me this, there was another show that I listened to also on KLOS called The Seventh Day. And every Sunday on KLOS, Joe Benson would play seven albums back to back in their entirety. And the cool thing was that the only commercials were between sides, which meant that you could record a whole record onto a cassette without having to start and stop the tape, which was awesome. And in between sides, just like on headsets, Joe would tell stories about the artists and the recordings. And Joe's knowledge about music, all music, was incredible. In fact, for a while, he was producing a series of books called Uncle Joe's Record Guides. And uh, I don't remember how many he did, but there was one on the Beatles and I think there was one on the Stones and there was one on uh, prog rock that covered bands like Yes and ELP and Genesis and the Moody Blues. And I was just getting into all these things. In fact, my friend Skyler, who was a, a guy from high school, he was a drummer. He and a couple of his friends had a Yes cover band that anyway, it was a whole thing. Uh, and it was this show. Uh, seventh Day, maybe even more so than headsets, that really inspired me to start reading the liner notes on recordings to see not just who was playing and who was writing, but everybody associated with the production, even who was mixing and engineering, which led me to names like Bob Clearmountain and Alan Parsons, who in addition to making his own music with the Alan Parsons Project, engineered Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Uh, and in fact, if you've never heard any music by the Alan Parsons Project, or if all you've heard is Eye in the Sky, you should check out Pyramid or iRobot. Um, if you want something really out there, you could try Tales of Mystery and Imagination, which is based entirely on the works of Edgar Allan Poe. And it's a terrific record, but it's not nearly as accessible as something like Eye in the Sky or I Wouldn't Want to Be Like You, which always kind of reminded me of Steely Dan. So in addition to the, you know, going back to headsets for a sec, one of the other things that was kind of cool about it was every once in a while, Jim would have guests on and he was friends with David Gilmore from Pink Floyd, Roger Waters from Pink Floyd. In fact, he toured with Roger Waters for, God, I think it was Radio Chaos. I think it was Radio Chaos. Anyway, um, and he was friends with Neil Peart from Rush. So again, all of this kind of music that I was getting into at the time was made even more interesting by these shows and by the stories that these guys were telling. Um, but one of the guests that that Lad brought in on headsets was this guy named Hugo Zuccarelli. And man, I've never forgotten this. Hugo Zuccarelli is an Argentine inventor who spent years studying how humans hear, uh, the actual sort of math and physics behind it. And he developed this recording system called Holophonics. And I won't bore you with the tech, but Think of it as sort of an expansion, a spatial expansion to stereo, right? Where stereo reproduces left and right, holophonics was able to produce basically 3D sound with specific distance and direction being able to be heard discreetly. And one of the examples on headsets had Jim say something like, I don't know, do you ever feel like you're going through life with a paper bag over your head or something like that? And then the sound of a paper bag being pulled over your head filled the headphones. And it wasn't just left and right. You could hear the crinkling of the paper all around you. And it sounded close, just like it would, I'm assuming. I've never had a paper bag on my head, but it sounds like, you know, what a paper bag being pulled over your head would sound like. And it was incredible. Uh, in another example, Jim said something like, you know, hold on, I want to get a couple pictures, which was followed by this, you know, sound of a Polaroid camera circling around you. And again, not just left to right, but left to front to right to back and around to the front again. And you really could hear the distance uh, change. And this was decades before... Dolby Atmos or THX. And uh, 
you know, so the, these kinds of shows, and again, you don't hear a lot about this stuff or a lot like this stuff anymore. Um, headsets is long since gone. Uh, the seventh day is long since gone and everything is now sort of pre-programmed according to playlists and some radio stations, like there's a radio station called Jack FM that's completely automated, no DJs at all. Um, which I think is kind of a shame because one of the reasons we, I, maybe we, uh, used to listen to the radio, at least in the eighties. And I was talking to my friend Mark about this earlier today, how, we grew up at, at such a great time for radio, not just for music, but experimentation with the medium. You know, 10 years before, 10 years after, it would have been completely different. But there were these amazing uh, shows and amazing personalities that we got to listen to. And that was one of the reasons that you did listen to them, right? You you wanted to hear what these men and women had to say. You wanted to hear their opinions. You wanted to hear what kind of music they were interested in. And you found yourself listening to specific DJs because they were playing the music that you wanted to hear. And I just think that it was such an incredible time um, to to be listening to radio and, and spending time just listening rather than, you know, having it on the background, which I think is fine. But, you know, there, there were many days growing up where the activity was listening to the radio, not having the radio on in the background while you were doing something else. Um, Hey, let's listen to something else. Call me if you want to have a chat, uh, 202-539-0209. feeling sorry for me <laughs> no i wasn't feeling sorry for you 
were you were you, were you just sitting there laugh, laughing listening to me struggle <laughs> no listening to me listening to me try and tell some rambling story about radio stations no i i think you know people might be reflecting on their own experience listening to radio and partly it depends on when they grew up where they grew up how ubiquitous radio was right. i mean you started off with some you told some cool experiences. I mean, you grew up in LA. You had some of these amazing DJs that that and these shows that you were able to listen to. Right. So you had access to, you know, lots of lots of cool original radio that was being that was being created at that time. Right. Uh, for those of you who who don't know, and I I failed to mention it, this is my lovely wife, Adrian Fielding. Say hi, Adrian. Indeed, it is. It is. <laughs> and Adrian was in a band back in the day called Supercart. And she was a singer, still is a singer. And uh, you have some direct experience with radio, don't you? I have, I have a, a funny radio experience, yeah. Um, so a few months ago, I think, we finally, finally there, there are many movies that I have not seen. And so, um, especially over the past few months, there's been lots of opportunities to catch up on watching movies. And one of those, one of those movies that I hadn't seen is That Thing You Do, which is a great movie. Such a great movie. If you haven't um, seen it, it's, 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 it's so cute. <laughs> it, it's a, it's, it's a really great movie. And I couldn't help but laugh at, the part in the movie where the band hears themselves on the radio for the first time. Right. And they just lose it. <laughs> they lose it. They, they lose it. Um, because I have had that experience. Um, the band that I was in was an original rock band. It was based in Western Massachusetts when I was in grad school there. And um, there still is some, interesting um radio some some great local djs coming out of there and there's a really strong local music scene and so they have some regular in addition to their their um you know they they weave local artists into what they spin on a regular basis in the in the the main radio station in the area and they also have a couple of shows that are dedicated to local music um, and so, um, you know, on a somewhat regular basis, I would, I would hear, they would play one of the, the tunes from the band that I was in. Um, and of course I would also hear, um, songs from, from friends bands too. And, uh, and it's a trip. It's, it's really, um, a trip to hear something that, uh, you have helped create and put all the, the time and emotion and effort and all behind the scenes issues that go into being part of a band. Um, playing out live gigs is so fun. And some of my best memories of my life come from playing live gigs, but there is something kind of amazing about hearing it on the radio. Do, do you remember um, where you were when you first heard yourself on the radio do you remember exactly where you were i think probably in the car i think probably in the car um because the the local radio station there that um that does these shows has some connection one of their sponsors is um uh they're they're tied into some of the venues and and a local label that's right there and so because we knew they they regularly do these um, these shows featuring local artists, or depending on who the DJ was, you know, people would get kind of a heads up if their stuff was was maybe gonna um, be played. And there were a couple of tunes that our band did that some of the DJs were particularly fond of. So um, I think I pro- I don't think I was at home. I think I was probably in the car, but had a sense that. Um, that one of the tunes would, would be played. And, and then another time I was 
you know, in a friend's backyard and we're all sitting out by a fire and, you know, it gets played on the radio again. And, and the cool thing is, is that even though we're in DC now, and this is many years later, um, we often will live stream that radio station in the morning when we're, we have heard you on the radio. Yes. Um, (laughs) Which is a complete trip even for me. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the first things that I did when I met you was send you a CD from from the band. But um, yeah, so it is it is cool even this many years later to be able to to hear music that I was part of or that my friends were part of and and when I was part of that scene. So that sort of that thing you do moment that was uh, was really a trip. Pretty cool. Do you remember, was, was there a different level, I can only assume, but was there a different level of excitement hearing those tunes in that backyard with friends, like with other people versus sort of just driving by yourself? I mean, there has to be like, this is me, you guys, this is me kind of thing, right? Yeah. One of my bandmates was also there. So Mm. the two of us like kind of, you know, laughed and lost our shit and like, oh my God, you know, it was just, it was um, it was, it was a trip. Um, but yeah, there were some other, uh, folks around too. I think I was actually, I think this was more re- It was more recently. It was a few years ago when I was up visiting hmm. and happened to be visiting one of my bandmates and we were all sitting around people. And so even all this many years later, it got a uh, play on one of the shows. So that was, that was a trip. And I think, I was more tickled by that because it was this many years later. Right, right, but right. But still, right. some of those tunes had stuck with people, and were still ones that sort of the local DJs like to like to play. So that was that was that was a trip. It was uh, the river, wasn't it? Isn't that that's the station you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. WRSI out of uh, Northampton. They play such great music. They have they have terrific. DJs and they've been doing, uh, they have, they have amazing, their DJs have amazing taste. And in the morning they've been doing sort of themed shows where they do have people call in and and make requests around sort of the theme of the day, especially over the past few months when lots of people are home and might be listening to the radio more in the mornings because they're not commuting or they're working from home and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's one of the reasons. And there is, there is a style. I mean, I got exposed to so much great music, not just local music, but so many great um, artists um, because of the kind of curation that, and the tastes that um, that are really prevalent in that area. Well, that's one of the things that I was kind of touching on that that, that type of radio that the river does is rare now it's it's all gone to program lists it's all gone to playlists it's all gone to you know in some cases like i pointed out with jack fm automation but you know monty is seemingly doing his own thing right and and some of the other djs that are on that station are seemingly doing their own thing there might be you know certain ads that you have to play or you know maybe there are certain cuts that have to be played i don't know but it seems like by and large they really are sort of self curating their time and that's why people listen to them. Is that true? Do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think so. I don't know a lot about kind of their ownership structure. I know that they're part of a radio group. And like I said, they do have, I think some more or less formal connection with um, kind of an Americana independent music radio label that's there. So sometimes those those artists will get some, some airtime and I don't know if there's a formal arrangement through that or anything, but yeah, I mean, they do still, they do still seem to have a lot of um, choice in, in what gets played and they, they invite, they invite their audience to, I mean, they still take requests right. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> stuff right. like that, which is strange. So um, yeah, I mean, I don't remember I don't remember another radio station in many, many years um, that did that, Mm -hmm. that has done that. Well, you, you grew up in such a rural part of Maine. (laughs) 
I mean, no, come on. I'm going to be nice. <laughs> no, you can be nice. I can just, I, I mean, I can, I can explain. So there were, there were very few television stations. Right. There were three networks and PBS. We couldn't get cable in my town the entire time I grew up there. And there was a similar thing with, um, around radio. Um, there were a few country stations and there were a few rock stations, FM, and most of them are what I would, are, are what we would call, now we would call classic rock. Right, right. Um, there was like one sort of pop top 40 oriented one and, and some, um, and maybe one or two sort of classic rock ones. And interestingly, the one, one of those stations, maybe both, was and maybe is still partly owned by Stephen King. Right. Um, right. Who I remember lived you telling me about that. In the closest, quote, city. <laughs> it's very small. Right. Um, near where I grew up. So he had, I think, uh, I think he helped sort of cultivate some, some sort of local talent as sort of DJs or had a hand in, in picking who the, you know, the, the DJs were and things like that. Um, but really it was top 40. It was, you know, mid to late eighties sort of classic rock. And we would get late, late, like maybe Friday and Saturday night and Sunday nights only, we would get syndicated shows of Dr. Demento. Um, See, so it wasn't all bad. (laughs) It wasn't all bad. Um, (laughs) It wasn't all bad. But again, that was, that stuff was imported, basically. So were were you, as well have been another country. Right. Were you in college before you experienced like quote unquote college radio or alternative radio? With one notable exception, yes. Hmm. So in in our basement right now, I still have mixtapes made for me by one and handwritten and everything by one of my oldest and dearest friends who was into all the kind of 80s music that you like. Right, um, right. All, all sort of the edgy 80s pop stuff. Um, Is this New York or West Coast? The music? Uh, No, the the, the person who made this. Are we talking about who we talking? We're talking about big. We're talking about big gay Doug. Okay, okay. I didn't know if it was that, if it was Doug, or if it was Neil. No, no, Um, Neil. I didn't meet till many years later. Um, So, so those tapes blew my mind because they were unlike anything else that was available to me or, or those of us. And there's still some, some amazing, there's amazing mixes. Um, so that was the only exception. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, when I went to college, sort of everything was new and, and different. And, um, and I was exposed to all sorts of things that were completely foreign to me, including college radio, including, people who, who lived and had been exposed to all sorts of things that I had, that I had never experienced. So, um, yeah, so then it was, and we had a great college radio station and I have friends who were DJs there and things like that. But, um, but yeah, really it was, it was top 40 and, and, you know, classic rock all the way until, the tender age of, of 18 until I moved a couple of states <laughs> south and <laughs> REM. Really? World. I've never heard of these guys. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hadn't. Driver eight is on that is on that's one a, of those mixtapes. That's a great tune. That's and on. It was uh, like, yeah, it was, it was mind blowing. Yeah. Honestly, I remember and, and I miss, I mean, still to this day, I miss the idea of a mixtape. There was something, you know, we've got, we both have friends that, Oh, I'll send you a playlist. And it's, it's just not the same. There was, there was something about the, the, the mixtape, the craft of the mixtape and choosing the songs and choosing the pacing and, and writing out 
you know, the track listing. And, and if you had really creative friends, they would, you know, draw pictures or doodles or, you know, whatever it was. So it would be this object that was part time capsule, part sort of love letter or, or token of friendship or, you know, it was just, it was more than just a collection of songs is what I'm saying. And I miss that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was certainly a, I mean, that was kind of an eighties era thing because that, that whole thing about either waiting for the songs to be played on the radio so you could record them right. <laughs> or having them on vinyl and recording them right. um, on radio. And, and I guess, you know, thinking about it a little more, I mean, there were some other friends in uh, my friend Doug, who made me those mixtapes, he went to a nearby high school and friends of mine that were in that circle of friends, a few of them were tapped into all that music too. Hmm. And I had no idea how they had access to it or how they got exposed to it or anything. So those were, those were some of my, my cool friends who somehow had, had, um, had discovered um, or had happened upon this whole other world of music that was, right. that was out there. And it's eye opening. But it certainly it? wasn't on the radio that I had. Yeah. 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 Right. 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 Yeah. There was, I mean, I've told you the stories of Jay. There was a, a guy that I went to high school with named Jay Ishimoto and uh, he would make the most amazing mixtapes and each one he would title them but the title was always an anagram of the full title and he would never tell us what the actual title of the tape was. So we just knew them as whatever the anagram was, but uh, you know, Femmes, uh, certainly REM, the Pixies, um, you know, just the list goes on of, of these bands that I hadn't heard of because I was, I was on the prog rock side you know, I was listening to Yes and King Crimson and Genesis and Rush and, and the Floyd. And so all of this like quote unquote alternative rock was was completely different to what I had been exposed to. And and we would only listen to them because he wouldn't, you know, we'd keep a lot of them for himself and we could listen to them if we were sort of in his presence. So we spent a lot of times at the beach and and, you know, around a fire pit with his boombox, or, you know, he was, uh, one of the managers of a tennis club and uh, near where we all lived. So, you know, after hours we would sort of congregate in the tennis club and, and he would play these mixtapes. And, and again, it was just this other, this other world. And it got me starting to listen to radio stations that I maybe wouldn't normally listen to. There was a, a college, well, still is college radio station at the Claremont colleges called KSPC that plays some really out there stuff. I mean, really out there, but you know, it, I, I kind of approach music in the same way that I do art. And I think you do too, where I don't mind it being a little beyond my understanding because there, there's something there to chew on and there's something there to try and figure out, you know, is this really not good and that you know you've heard me talk at length about good and what that means but is this not good or or am i just not giving it a chance where where's the line there and i find that whole process kind of fascinating yeah it's it's you know the role of the role of radio and mixtapes and friends and exposing you to stuff um you know, some of that has, some of that has really kind of left us and changed with the changes in technology and how we listen versus how the kids today, you know, listen right. and, and stream and discover music. And, um, there, you know, it's, a, it's akin to, um, when you, when you had to watch, TV when the shows were on <laughs> right before you could even record them never mind sort of on demand and stuff so um yeah the the 
the move away from radio, um, live radio to more in demand or, or streaming, I think has, has maybe changed people's experience of it some. Were you ever kind of into the album scene? Did you ever listen to records or because it was, it was so much later that you, that you, you know, cause you didn't really get into music as much until you were into college. So did you kind of miss that window or do you remember just getting in a room with friends and, you know, putting on cheap trick and listening to whole, you know, side one of cheap trick at Budokan or something? Yeah, I mean, I have some very distinctive memories of listening to albums. Um, and and you know, with my parents and at friends' houses that they or their parents would, would have playing, um, I had a little portable record player and the few records that I that I had, I, you know, played to death and, and listened, um, over and over and over again. Um, not a lot to do in, in Maine in the winter time or in the middle of nowhere, um, any time of year. So there was, um, so yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know if there was as much of that in high school. Right. Um, you know, we would, when we would hang out, there would be music on, but it might be the radio as much as anything else. Um, I think it would be less about sitting around listening, just listening to an album. What would have been your, one of your uh, sort of house on fire, I have to save this record. What would have been one or two of those records for you? When I was a kid? Mm -hmm. Or just, you know, when you started recognizing music and bands and tastes of your own? Um, hmm. Well, there were seriously some KTEL collections <laughs> that were choice. Right. <laughs> like love songs of the seventies or something. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There was some journey. There was some sticks. Um, uh, I mean, I got to say one of the one of the ones that just you know um, sort of hit early and stayed with me was um, "Deja Vu" um, by CSNY. Um, yeah, someone's chiming in and saying Sergeant Pepper. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I um, yeah, my my um maybe my parents liked the Beatles. They were more into like the John Denver Eagles, soft rock, like James Taylor singer songwriter stuff. Sure, sure. Um, that was kind of more um what I would tend tend to hear kind of more of. Um you know, as a as a younger kid, I was into soundtracks because I was kind of a musical theater chorus drama kid. So that was kind of where I lived kind of early on. But I don't think I had a I don't think I had a record player in college or anything. So um by then I think we were, you know, solidly on to cassettes because I'm a couple years younger than you. So I think um maybe I was just at that sort of transition. Right. moment from the technology standpoint. I think the, the first record, like rock and roll record, I remember listening to um, was Cheap Trick at Budokan. And I, I must have been fifth grade, maybe sixth grade. Um, my friend, Steve Strickland, uh, it was his brother's copy. And we went over to his house and he, and he, played this record and yeah, I'd never heard anything like it. Um, my first, I think my first like rock record that, that I, either I bought it or my mom bought it for me. And this was after the, you know, the Robin Williams fiasco. Um, I think my first one 
was Foreigner Double Vision. Yeah, another good one. We Which had that too. was a great, it still is a great record. Lou Graham, one of the finest rock singers in the game. Amen. There's no arguing with that. Yeah. There's there's no way um, to argue with that. Yeah, I mean, that one was great. And, and the, the fact that you brought up um, Live at Budokan, I mean, I have a very distinct memory of listening to that when I was probably early teens we were visiting my grandparents just south of boston and across the street from their house um was a family who lived there for as long as i remembered and they had a couple teenage kids who were a few years older than us and so cool in our eyes and and um i remember the daughter kim um she had great taste in music and i remember her cranking that record nice. and being over there and listening to it. And I had never heard anything kind of like that before. And she was so cool. And it was this, here was this like monster sort of album. So yeah, I have a really distinctive memory listening to that one too. Did she have black and white checkered Vans sneakers? I don't remember. I think I was not, I don't know. Did you no, she was ever have of, a, a pair of black and white oh, checkered no. Vans sneakers? no. No, I don't even know that we were not really a name brand clothing sort of household. Like, I don't even know where I would have bought that. Again, for, you know, to underscore the the point about my rural upbringing, right. the nearest <laughs> mall was a half an hour drive away, right. as opposed to Jeffrey, who lived in you know, the middle of Southern California. Right. Um, so, yeah, I don't even... I, I don't. I don't even know if they had vans there. Like things did not get to Maine right. <laughs> for, for like many. Yeah, like I don't even know if they have vans there now. Honestly, and yet, um, and yet, in rural Maine, and smack dab in the middle of Southern California, cheap drink at Budokan was the universal language. It was, but I wasn't in Maine when I listened to that. I ah, was okay. visiting people outside Boston. Good point. Good point. So again, I was in like you know, I was I was closer to the rest of of the culture in the country. Hey, did you see that someone asked in the chat the first record you bought would would it be the Foreigner album for you? Yeah, because I, I don't remember if I bought that or if my you know like did I save up my allowance and buy it or. Did she buy it? I I think I probably bought that at, uh, it would have been at the, uh, well, there were two record stores um, in opposite directions about a half mile away from our house, a mile away, something like that. One was called Licorice Pizza uh, and the other one was called The Warehouse and it probably would have been Licorice Pizza. Which was a terrific so, record store. Yeah, that's a that's a cool name for a store too. Um, so again, the nearest record store was a half an hour <laughs> drive away from where I lived. A half hour drive. So this is not this is not yes. little Adrian getting on her bicycle and pedaling. This is hey mom, no, can you take me no, to no, the no, record no. store? Yeah, I mean that was that was like down the street from the mall. I think right. it was called record express, like something really original like that. Um, and I don't, I don't remember. I don't know if I ever bought a record. I have a feeling that the ones I had were maybe like Christmas presents mm. and things. Mm -hmm. um, or I would listen to ones that my mom had. So, but you know, by the, by that point it, it was maybe, you know, maybe it was early sting stuff or the, the police or, or something like that. Right, um, right. Lover boy, Brian Adams, you know, <laughs> I mean, this is, this is a, you know, that was the product of the time for sure. So I, I don't remember, um, that the first, if I bought records, they might've been 45. Right. Singles. It might've yeah, been sure. singles. Yeah. 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 With the uh, little thing, you know, in the middle to keep it going. Right. Which, 
didn't didn't we get didn't we get Jared uh, your your nephew uh, a, a t shirt with like that little thing as as the graphic on it wasn't that what probably yeah yeah probably uh, just a reminder if you guys want to call I'm going to wrap this up soon um, but if you do want to call in last minute two o two five three nine o two o nine uh, is, is the number and we'll do this again. And, and I think I've ironed out the technical issues that were, uh, a part of the, the beginning. So moving forward, we should be good. Um, yeah. So where were we? Yeah, it would be, I, I would be curious to hear, you know, other people's um, first records experience with the radio. Did they ever, DJ a show? Did they did they work in college radio? Um, like I said, I I knew people who did, but um, yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't work in the in the station. I just I just knew other people who did, but um, certainly seems like a singular kind of experience and pretty influential to right. the to the community. I always wanted to. I, I always thought that it would be really kind of fun, and I, I mean, even now, I would. I would jump at the chance to do an eighties show. Absolutely. Um, because that's kind of where, you know, late seventies, eighties is where my taste by and large still lies. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I wanted to like in, in college, even in high school, there was a, a guy that was our valedictorian or maybe, Maybe it wasn't our valid. What's the one down from valedictorian? Salutatorian. That one. Um, yeah. Anyway, he ended up being the program director at the local college radio station for years. And I just, I, I don't know. There was something about that that just, it seemed so cool. But uh wasn't in the cards. And thankfully, it wasn't in the cards because I'd still be, I don't know, it's somewhere in the middle of Southern California. Well, you know, it went the way it had to go. <laughs> well, I think I'm going to play out one more little track. Um, yeah, this looks like somebody else might be calling in. Let's let's wrap up with you, and I'll I'll see who this is. All right, I'm I'm gonna hang up then. Okay. Thanks for inviting me to be part. No, thanks for being here. Hello. Hi, Jeffrey. Hi, who's this? Hi, my name's Ted. Hey, Ted, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, What's on your mind? Enjoying the broadcast. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, it was a little rough start, but I think we'll, uh, we'll smooth it out as, as these things go. It happens. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know if I can remember the first record I bought, but I do remember listening to the radio, and I think most of my radio listening was probably before age 12 or so i remember listening to a, a local station to the dc maryland area called whfs um and they had they ran uh pretty regular like call-in contests um and they had one where they counted down it was four or five songs and you had to call in and i think be the ninth caller or something and uh name each artist and song name Oh, they wouldn't uh, tell you I, as they were playing them. You just had to know them. Right. Yeah. 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 And uh, before before the internet was widespread and I could right. just go look it up. <laughs> you could and just everything. Google everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so one time my sister and I listened uh, attentively and and I called in and won actually and just got a, a gift certificate to like a, a CD tape shop. And right on. The, yeah, and was that the first time that you had gotten through or the first time that you'd won or both? I want to say both. Um, I might have called in once and, you know, not been the right number caller. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might have taken a couple tries. But, yeah, I, I hadn't thought about any of that for quite a while until I was listening to you tonight. And what, if you don't mind my asking, what happened at 12 that that was the cutoff for listening to radio? Did did you move on to albums or cassettes or what was the reason for, for radio kind of leaving the mix? I think that station that I mentioned at one point 
um, completely changed format, just mm. a totally different style of music. Mm-hmm. Um, it was probably my my taste started evolving a little bit, and you know I started getting more interested in buying records and or CDs. I think it was for me at the time, um, and I, maybe I had a little more of an income at that point that I could actually buy the CDs that I wanted to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, the, the rate of listening might have continued past that, but uh, probably sometime in my teens or so it tapered off. Now, let me ask you something. Have you kept yeah. your collection of CDs? And the reason I ask is most of my friends, and I'm you know, I'm included in that too. We sold off our CDs years ago and now we're all kicking ourselves in the ass for selling off (laughs) our CDs because we don't have physical media anymore. Um, yeah, they're, they're at my parents' house, but I, I believe I still have, I I traded in a couple here and there, but Mm -hmm. I think other than that, yeah, I, I still have all my CDs. Wow. Yeah, man, I, I, and I had some great stuff. I'm sure you do too, but it it just, it's the streaming thing is not the same. It's, it's never the same as holding a copy whether it's a cassette or or an LP or, or a CD, there's still something about that tangibility for me. And for a lot of people, I would imagine. There is. I actually, I, I was reading a book not long ago called the revenge of analog. Um, and it kind of touched on that, that idea that the, there's something about a physical thing that kind of, I guess, increases your um, investment in it. Uh, what's you know, what's not, the book called again? Monetary, sorry? What's the book called? Uh, the Revenge of Analog. The Revenge of Analog. Love it. Yeah. And it, it talks about a few different uh, mediums. It, it talks about vinyl records, uh, film photography, mm-hmm. um, you know, like print print magazines and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've noticed for myself that I, you know, I have the Spotify and I'll, I can flip through the albums I've saved and, and scroll through all of them three times before I settle on something to listen to. But, right, right. Um, you know, right now my collection of vinyl records, I probably have, you know, 10 give or take that I actually listen to. Yeah. Same. And I have no trouble picking one because they're they're right there in front of me and there's something satisfying about just pulling out the record and having that physical thing turning in front of me there there's always been well not always but there is this idea of of the qualitative difference between cds and and vinyl and tapes and streaming and and i never really worried about that stuff as much as to your point the 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 immediacy of it, the, the, the fact that it is right there in front of me on, on the shelf. I mean, I, I think I have same issue. I think I've got a dozen records now and five of those or no, six of them just came in the mail last week. So, you know, I've effectively doubled my record collection in the last week, but there is still something about limiting I, I don't I don't believe that that unlimited choice is a good thing I don't think that humans were <laughs> our brains don't work that way we weren't built to have myriads of choices of everything at any time because you yeah. end up getting just completely overwhelmed I mean I do the same thing with Netflix how many times have you uh, right. scrolled through you know you, you waste a half hour looking for something to watch and that half hour was all you had to watch something yeah yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the paradox of choice, I think they call that, right? Hmm. When you have so many things to choose from, it's actually harder to choose. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, about the difference between CDs and vinyl, um, I'm a musician and I sometimes feel like an idiot when I'm talking with other people about this because honestly, in a blind test, if you played me a record and a CD, you know, unless it was just something like the the pop of the vinyl, I'm not sure I could tell you the difference. Really, but I've never tried it. But that's my my hunch. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is, yeah, there is something about having that physical thing. And I, I think there's a 
I mean, I, I'm, I'm my background, you know, part of my background is in photography as well. And I, I think there is something akin to film in that you, you, you have to have a respect for the fragility of the medium, that it is something that, you know, you, you can play a stream 8 million times and it's going to sound exactly the same on the 8 millionth time as it does on the first time. But there is a fragility to, to vinyl and, and certainly cassettes back in the day. I mean, we've all probably, you know, wound our fair share back up on the head of a pencil or something, but you know, that's somehow comforting. And I, I can't understand why or explain why, but the fact that I have to treat this object with a certain amount of respect so that it will, if I, if I give to it, it will give back to me. And I, I like that. I like that relationship with, with physical media that you, you do have to sort of take care of it. And I, I wonder if that's part of the appeal of film photography, too. I mean, even though, you know, obviously a digital camera is still somewhat fragile, but just the the winding levers and the mechanisms and mm-hmm. gears and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's. I, I think that is, I mean, I would I would make the same case that you made. If, if you showed me a JPEG side by side digital and film, I don't know that I could pick out the difference. Right. You know, and, and I don't know that it, that it matters. It's, it's, I think what you bring to that and what you get from it as an exchange. And I, and I think that's the important bit of it for me anyway. It's, it's the exchange that happens, the transformation that happens more so than, you know, one being sort of objectively better than another. Yeah, and I think it's easy to to kind of get lost in that of which final product is better, whatever that means, and mm-hmm. kind of forget about the the process and mm-hmm. what it means for the person doing it. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Wow, I'm so glad you called. Thank you very much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the show. Well, I, like I said, I don't know where this is going to go. I. Uh, you know, I'm already enjoying it, hiccups and all. Um, so hopefully it will, you know, we'll figure out some of the the, the little bumps and, and get over them and people will come back and we can have different, they're not all going to be conversations about radio. This was just kind of the first one. I mean, I'll talk about pretty much whatever we want or whatever you want, um, you know, moving forward. But um, yeah, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Looking looking forward to seeing where it goes. Well, I am going to play a little bit of one more thing, and then uh, and then we're going to wrap wrap it up. Ted, thank you for calling, and uh, I hope sure. you call in again. All right, will do. Thank you. All right, actually, I'm not going to play something else. Let's uh, let's wrap this up. We've been going for about an hour. Um, with, with the hiccup. Um, but let's do more of these and I would encourage you to call in. Um, the, uh, the number is 202-539-0209. And I don't know when we'll do the next one, uh, probably next week. Maybe we'll just start doing them weekly and see where these go. Uh, if you've got ideas, or if you've got suggestions, you can email me at talkback at jeffreysedoras.com. You can leave uh, a question or, or a comment in the comments right on the YouTube uh, link. Or you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Jeffrey Sedoris. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S. And uh, thank you, those of you who are listening. Thanks a lot. Um, this is a, this is a new thing and it's it's uncomfortable and it's scary and it's uh, it's exciting as hell, isn't it? I love it. Um, and I will see you, well, I won't see you, I will talk to you on the next one. Thank you for being here.